Toxic Slime Hits Lake Erie and Other Stories this July 13th, 2014. I'm Franny Halperin. And I'm Jamie Sudler. And it's This Week in Water. Last week, the Nicaraguan government approved the building of a canal between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans to rival the Panama Canal. The proposed canal could handle supertankers and shorten shipping routes by as much as 800 miles. The new canal is being financed by Chinese lawyer Wang Jing, and some accounts say he will actually own the canal at first, then give 1% control per year to Nicaragua. It is not clear when the building of the project could begin, but digging may start as early as December this year. The project has been contemplated for some time and must be seen in the context of changing oceanic shipping routes in other areas. Russia, Canada, the U.S., and other countries are vying over the control of newly opened shipping lanes in the Arctic due to ice melting. Yet China has no sovereignty claims to those sea routes. The Nicaraguan Canal is projected to cost about $40 billion and could be finished as soon as 2019. An advisor to President Daniel Ortega of Nicaragua stated that employment in his country could double due to the canal. Critics of the new route fear the environmental effects to Lake Nicaragua could be devastating. Seawater and non-native species could invade the lake, which is the largest freshwater body in Central America and a vital source of drinking water. Over the years, the Morongo Band of Mission Indians has been clashing with the state of California and a local water district over water rights to a small spring that flows from nearby mountains. The tribal land, which is in the desert about 85 miles east of Los Angeles, is shaping up to be a classic water war. In the early 2000s, the Morongo tribe partnered with Nestle to allow the food giant to build a massive $26 million plant on their land to bottle its popular Arrowhead brand of spring water. As a part of the deal, Nestle pays a fee to the tribe for every gallon drawn from the ground. A dispute erupted after a routine records check in 1996 revealed that a previous permit holder for the spring had failed to use the water for its legally mandated purpose of irrigating 13 acres of nearby farmland. Under a 1938 surface water rights settlement, if the water wasn't being used for its permitted purpose, it automatically had to go to the local water district and other parties, a typical outcome of the use-it-or-lose-it principle of Western water law. In an article published today by Ian James of the Desert Sun, he reports that as a sovereign nation, the Morongo Indians are exempt from oversight by local water agencies and don't face the same reporting requirements as other entities. They can, and have, kept confidential information about groundwater pumping and water levels in most of the reservation's wells. Numerous attempts by the Desert Sun for information about the amounts of water bottled each year have been denied, so it's difficult to assess the bottling plant's impacts on water supplies, supplies in a region which averages about three inches of rain each year. As California's drought deepens, people in the area are questioning how much water the plant is bottling and whether it's right to sell water for profit in a desert region where springs are rare and underground aquifers are declining. (music) 
India is planning to copy Japan's idea to build solar panel farms in the ocean. The new Indian floating solar farm would supply 50 megawatts of electrical power, or enough for about 16,000 homes. India's plan to build a solar farm in the ocean comes after there has been controversy over an inland solar plant on 30 square miles of land in the southwest of the country. The plans for the inland solar farm were announced about six months ago, and critics of that plan stated that the project could sit on wetlands that are protected by international conventions. Both India and Japan face a lack of available land on which to build solar farms, so turning to the floating facilities makes sense. The Japanese Oceanic Solar Farm opened in November last year and is supplying enough power for 22,000 homes using what many consider to be much safer methods than nuclear plants. India has also begun to install solar panels on top of water canals, which has two environmental goals generating electricity, and lowering evaporation from the canals. The canal solar panel project has great potential in addition to the ocean-based solar farms. According to Clean Technica, world solar capacity increased by 35% in 2013. China led the way with Japan and the U.S. following in second and third places. According to the National Atmospheric and Oceanic Administration, Lake Erie will experience a significant toxal algal bloom this summer. Slimy pea green mats will again collect on the lake's western shores, mostly fueled by phosphorus from farm fertilizers and sewage treatment plants. The blooms are as dangerous as they are ugly. They can create oxygen-depleted dead zones where nothing can live and excrete nerve toxins that can sicken swimmers and kill pets and wildlife. Such blooms were common in the 60s and 70s. They disappeared for 20 years after a water quality agreement was signed in 1972. They reappeared in 2002 when new farming practices led to a sharp increase in phosphorus running into rivers and streams. Scientists think climate change may make matters worse, with Lake Erie's waters becoming warmer and more hospitable to algae. The outbreaks are projected to hit from August to October and could have a major impact on drinking water and the recreational use of Lake Erie. Lake Erie is the drinking water source for millions of people in both the United States and Canada. A headline on the news site Motherboard this week put the situation succinctly for Ohioans, proclaiming two things are returning to Cleveland, LeBron James and toxic algal blooms. This Week in Water is a production of H2O Radio. Learn more at h2oradio.org.